Round of applause if you had a good Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. Are you also spoiled? Clap if you're spoiled. Yay, me, I'm spoiled. Is that what you're doing? And uh, you ready for New Year's? Ready for a little New Year's? How many of you will see Midnight on New Year's? Let me see your hands. How many of you haven't seen a Midnight in years? Anybody? Yeah, it's been a while for us, too. We celebrate New York uh, New Year's. That's what we do, and then call it a day. And so I, I hope that as you think about the coming year and you reflect on the last year, I don't know if you've given up resolutions or you just kind of kind of ponder where God has had you and where he has you going, that you are making some plans to figure out how you're going to pursue God in 2020. Can you believe it's 2020? Isn't that weird? How many times are you going to write 2019 and have to mark it out? Which, you know, a, a 19 is really hard to change over to a 20. You just got to start over. And so... Um, if you're trying to figure out how to get connected and grow spiritually, there's a few ways that you can do that here um, at Castle Oaks. Uh, one of the ways is to get connected to groups and studies. We have groups that are kicking off during our services, again, kicking off on the, the 12th, I think it is, that Sunday, a couple weeks from now. And so we'd love for you to get connected to that. Jim and Lori Brandt are in this service. I think Lori, Jim's out because he doesn't like the preaching, really. Um, but it's, it's Lori, Lori's here. And uh, they lead a study and a discussion uh, about the sermon, in fact, uh, at the 9 o'clock service in the cafe. And then uh, Nancy Grisham, you've heard Nancy Grisham preach here. She's, yeah, she's just, I don't know why you wouldn't jump into her class. It starts the 12th. It's all about sharing your faith with people that you love, seven weeks, and it's in the cafe as well. So a couple places where you get connected, men's studies with Mr. McKeever, Pastor McKeever. Dave, did you just wave? Let all the men see who you are. So if you don't know Dave, you ought to get connected to Dave, the Saturday gig, and some women's studies. You can get connected out here. How many of you use the Bible app that's called YouVersion? Use the Bible app every now and then? So they have reading plans, and we've started a reading plan that we've connected to, that I'm a part of. It's reading through the entire New Testament over the next year. And so if you find yourself not sure where to read, not sure how to grow, not sure how to get connected, then you can hop on our Facebook if we're friends. Uh, if not friend me, we'll take care of that real quick. Or we will send out a link. If you get the e-news in your email, we'll send a link out on Tuesday or Wednesday that, that uh, takes you right to that plan, and you can sign up and download the app, and there's a guide about what to read and a place to discuss it with the other people that are in the group. It's a really good way to kind of stay accountable and grow a bit. That would be great. So as you reflect, as you ponder and think about how to grow, I want you to kind of engage with the metaphor that we're using this Sunday about being in the fire. First time I heard that song, I thought, I want to hear Josh's voice sing that song. It's beautiful lyrics. And you'll hear the whole thing after the message. But we want to use this metaphor about being in the fire to talk about maybe difficult times you've experienced over the last year, because I don't know what's coming for you in the year to come. And I believe that what we do as we think about the painful times that we've experienced, trials, difficulties, going through the fire, if you will, how we go through them has everything to do with what God does next and whether we have to relearn lessons that God intended to teach us the first time around. And so as we do that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember about a time. I just want you to ponder, recollect, See if you can call to mind a time that you went through a difficult experience, maybe a relationship that was full of friction or difficulty, a disappointment, maybe you got a diagnosis that you didn't want, whatever it is, a difficult time in your life, you remember when it happened and what occurred, 
who was involved, what was a part of it. And I know it's not fun. I know it's not great. You know, uh, we try to box these things up and shove them aside or shove them down. But all of us have these experiences that we would say were trials or difficulties. So do me a favor. Just tap into that for a moment. See if you can remember what happened and why. What was it about? What was the catalyst behind it? What caused it? Something happened to you? Or was it something you did that brought about a whirlwind of repercussions and consequences? Who was a part of it with you? What were the circumstances around it? Do you have some questions while you're going through it? Like, why is this happening to me? Why are people acting like this? Why is God putting me through this? Use your memory and go back. As you use your memory, ponder this question. What were the feelings that you felt when you went through that time? Fear? Anger? Sadness? Frustration? Which ones were the most prominent or the most common? The strongest? What do you remember about it? Did you find a place for your blame? Why this is happening? Just life. These things happen to everybody. Did you find a person to blame? Did you blame yourself? Did you blame God? So these things that you're remembering, if you can kind of hang on to them, they're important. As we unpack this story from Scripture, you're going to have a chance to reinterpret, maybe, maybe not even necessary, what occurred to you and what God was up to through the entire thing. Your relationship fell apart. What were you dealing with? See, I'm asking you to engage a couple endowments or gifts that God's given us being made in his image. The first is your memory, right? Um, do I'm so thankful that God gave us memories most days. Every now and then I wish he didn't uh, because there's some things I remember I wish I could forget. But God gave us a memory, and this is unique to us as sort of the the people that he created, made in his image, unique. God saw us when he made us and said, this is very good. And he gave us a memory the same way that God has a memory. In fact, in Scripture, and this may be confusing, I didn't understand this for a long time, why in the world God would need a memory. Surely he knows everything. But it says in Genesis a few times that God remembered. In fact, Noah and the flood and the floodwaters are rising, and it says in Scripture that God remembered Noah and the pain that he was in, and so the floodwaters receded. In other words, God remembered, and then he moves redemptively. That's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Remember, and then move redemptively through that memory, which means you're going to have to engage your imagination. 
you get to imagine how things could have been or how things will go the next time you go through a painful ordeal, a difficult trial. Because I don't know what's coming in your life in 2020. You don't either. Would you even want to know if you could? Do you want a little crystal ball and understand what's coming around the corner? Would it cause you anxiety or would you just relax and just let things go a natural course? But I know this, that as unpredictable as life is, what you can do to prepare today, you can't prepare the day those things occur. And so memory. And so I'm going to ask you to engage your memory and your imagination, which means that you're going to have to do a couple things today as we go through this story and, and you think about your past a bit. You're going to have to engage two parts of your, your brain that God gave you. One's emotional, and it's this emotional part of your brain that is tied to the feelings that you feel that just sort of well up when you remember what happened. And so for some of you, it's anxiety. For some of you, it's sadness. For some of you, it's fear. And you can feel those feelings as if you were going through it again. Have you ever had that experience? You know exactly what it feels like, and it fe you feel it somewhere here. For some of you, it's a little lower. It's maybe down here. And, and as you feel those feelings, it's as if you're experiencing the same thing again. It's really the root of what psychologists refer to today as PTSD. It's how strong our emotions and our memories are. And I'm asking you also to engage your, your rational brain. And, and this is the part of you that is active when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'm going through a very difficult thing. Could you give me some advice? You don't feel their feelings. I mean, you have a little empathy, of course. But you're not going through what they're going through. You get to kind of view it from 30,000 feet and tell them what you would do if you were in their circumstances, even though you're not. That's the rational brain. You get to think it through. And so if you can remember what you experienced through those trials and ordeals and then allow Scripture to speak into how you react and what you do next, then God is about the business of transforming us from the inside out. Because all of us find ourselves in circumstances when we wish we had reacted differently or maybe made a different choice or allowed God to have his way with us when we were just resisting it. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, the metaphor for the day, of course, is this metaphor of fire. And fire is pretty important. Most of us think of it as negative, but not if you're a survivalist. If you're a survivalist or you know anything about what it means to survive, then the very first thing you want to learn is how to make fire. Because fire means that you will live, that you will be warm, or that you can eat, or that you can cook, or that you have light, or that you'll survive the long, dark night. That's what fire means. And it's appropriate that it means this because in Scripture, fire is a powerful reality. The very first time we see fire in Scripture, well, one of the first is when Moses is in exile after he committed a, a murder and after he had run and hid from people and from God, God appears and he shows up in this bush. But what's up with the bush? What's going on with the bush? That's right, it's on fire. And the fire that's in the bush, even though the bush isn't consumed, represents what well, represents God's presence. It's what fire is in Scripture. It means God is near. It means he's in it with you. This isn't the only time that fire represents God's presence. 
after Moses finally is called and leads the people out of slavery, the nation of Israel has to find their way from Egypt all the way into the promised land, into Canaan. And in their wandering and in their journey, God leads them. By day, he leads them by a cloud, but by night, he leads them by what? A pillar of fire. What? It means God's presence. It means in the fire, we see that God is with us. Not only is he with us, not only does it provide warmth, but he lights the way. This is what fire means. That's not all it means. It means a lot of other things in Scripture. Like I said, it's a powerful metaphor and analogy. At one point, Peter in his New Testament letter says this, do not be surprised at this fiery trial you're going through. And so through Scripture... Fire can also mean that you're going through pain and difficulty, that you're going through a season that is fraught with choices that you have to make, forces coming against you, difficulties that you didn't foresee, pain and difficulty. It's a fiery trial. There's no life here, there, anywhere that's free from trials and pain and difficulty. But the question that you ought to ask is this, how do you see it, this fiery trial? When Peter says, do not be surprised at this fiery trial that you're going through, maybe something comes to mind for you, the experience you tapped into a few minutes ago, but how do you see it? How do you view it? What's your perspective of what happened and what God was up to? Because it seems as if How you see it is everything. In other words, what God is trying to accomplish, how you view that, has everything to do with whether you experience it, as we said, again and again. In other words, are you a slow learner like me? Or do you find yourself picking up lessons the very first time they're laid down? How do you see it? Because not only is it God's presence, and not not only is it pain and difficulty when you go through fiery ordeals, tough experiences where your faith is tested or where you are tempted and where you experience pain, not only is it pain and difficulty, but it's also, according to Scripture, it is refining and purifying. In fact, this is the point of the difficulties that all of us go through, this refining and purifying. You know what that means, right? It's talking about this fire that is put in place inside a furnace. And in this furnace, the point of the fire is to take metals from all kinds of various places or that's been dug up, maybe old items that have been discarded. And in this fire, what occurs is a melting molten liquid and then a burning off of everything that isn't useful, everything that isn't helpful or beautiful or eternal or God-ordained. And all that's left through a refining fire is the gold, that which is most valuable. And over and over again, the refiner's fire is talked about in Scripture in a variety of ways And the perspective and the hope is that whatever you've experienced in the past, you've allowed God to use it to change you, to become more like him. 
And whatever is coming in the days to come, over the next year or decade, whatever hardship or trial that will be a part of your life, that God would use it in such a way that we become more like Jesus in the process. And so the story that we'll use is one that is familiar to us. In fact, many of you were taught this story growing up in Sunday school if you were in church with little flannel graph and pictures of flames and a king and all those kinds of things. It's a story that you know, but because you know the story, there are truths hidden that have been maybe cloaked from you because you think you know the story. When we pick up the story in Daniel, the nation of Israel has been conquered, exiled, and dispersed. And many of the Israelites live in a place called Babylon. They live under the rule of a pagan king. And Daniel in chapter 3 and earlier, we find out that this king's name is King, what? How do you say it? Nebuchadnezzar. So many names you can't say in the Bible. That's one of the longest ones you'll find. And you guys said it just like that. You guys are serious Bible students. King Nebuchadnezzar. He rules over this place called Babylon. He made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. You know how big that is? Yeah, me neither. So a cubit (laughs) is about a foot and a half. This thing is about 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. It's a big gold image. And he places it on the plain of Dura, a place, flat plains. Anybody around the Babylon central area would be able to see it and know it and they can observe it. And he put it there so that he could collectively pull together the variety of people that had been conquered by him as king. They came from all kinds of places. They had all kinds of convictions and all different religions, and he wanted them to know that he's in charge and that his religion rules, and please don't let your former religion get in the way of obeying the king. And so when he set this up, He let all the people know that when the music begins to play, just like church for us, when you first hear the guitar strings, when you hear the band begin to play, you know it's time to gather and do what? To worship. Nebuchadnezzar told his people the same thing. When the music begins to play, whatever you're doing, doesn't matter when it is, doesn't matter what you're up to, stop what you're doing, face the golden image and bow down. Then I'll know that you have left your former ways behind, that you know who is king and you know who is in charge and that you can get back to whatever you're doing. And that is the new rule the king makes. And then he says this, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately, what? Thrown into a blazing furnace. That is a steep penalty for not showing up to church, right? But this is what he demands. And this is what he requires, immediate obedience and zero tolerance. It's his way of saying, don't forget who's in charge of your life and who is king. So one day a group of people, Chaldeans, astrologers, they come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say this, Hey, we see that everybody is obeying the new rule, king, and it's really great, it's powerful, almost everybody. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say it with me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these are, of course, their Babylonian names. They're Jewish names, Max, Billy, and Bob. I'm kidding. They're much more complicated than that, and I can't say them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, How does a king feel when he hears this? 
Ah, he's enraged. He's incensed. He can't believe that anybody would challenge his authority. Scriptures say he is furious. They pay no attention to me. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, king over all these people, focuses on these three. Because this is what people who are in authority do. They need compliance. And so he calls in these three young Jewish boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come into his presence. And when they come into his presence, he says, do you not know what's up? Do you not understand what I've done? I've set up an image of gold. And when the music plays, you are to bow down. You know the rules. That's what's going to happen. And then he says to them this, I've already told you what would happen. If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then he says this, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Then what will you do? Who could save you from what will happen next? Whatever fiery trial you thought of, whatever painful or difficult experience that you could remember right now, and let's be honest, most of us in the room had to pick from a few, at least. Difficult, painful Seasons of our life where we questioned, where we doubted, everyone will test what you believe. Everyone will test what you believe. Is God in charge really? Is he a good God? Is he for you? Can you trust him? Every fiery trial will test. And in that test, in your fiery furnace that you experience, what rises up is fear every time. So what are you afraid of? You can imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of this king, this king who has authority over their life. And he says, bow or die. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? If you can answer the question honestly and thoughtfully, then you'll begin to figure out what your 90-foot object of gold is that you'll be tempted to bow down to. Afraid of the future, disappointment, lack of control. Afraid of having your security stripped from you, afraid of failure, afraid of being insignificant, afraid of your ego being damaged, afraid of people not thinking well of you, afraid of your reputation being soiled. What is it that you're afraid of? So there's two kinds of people in the room right now. There's those of us who know what we're afraid of and don't want to face it, and that's dangerous. And there's those of us who don't know what we're afraid of and therefore can't face it. And that's even more dangerous. So what are you afraid of? When that fear shows up, that's how you know exactly what your fiery trial is going to be about. 
It will always expose your fears. In fact, two people can go through the exact same experience and both of them have different fears exposed. Why? Well, yours are unique to you. Yours are the ones that you have to deal with that wake you up at three in the morning. This is the moment where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to face their fears. Now, if you've read the story and you're familiar with what happens, you might think that the miracle occurs in the furnace. It does not. The miracle occurs in the conversation that you're about to read. What happens in this conversation is some of the most powerful moments in Scripture, the convictions that are shared, and the result is absolutely unbelievable. So now King has laid it out before them. Then what God will be able to save and rescue you from my hand? And this is what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to, what? We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What did you just say? Did you, did you just say that out loud? You are king? You're in charge. You have the authority to ruin, destroy us. And these three Jewish boys stand before the king and say, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. Listen close. Whoever you think has authority over you, it's perceived. It's not real. It's not real. Your boss, no, perceived. And you say, well, I'll lose my job. Sure, you might. Who is your provider? And you'll say, well, I'll lose a relationship. Sure, you might. Who is your closest friend? But I'll, lose, I'll give up, and you can hear in every one of those statements, fear rising up. Whatever fiery trial you go through, it will identify what you're afraid of. And in that moment, it's a catalyst moment, it's a fiery trial moment where you and God get to do serious business together, if you will, if you'll allow him to do it. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter but we'll gladly explain a few things to you. And so they do. It's powerful. Nobody controls us, King Nebuchadnezzar. Our allegiance is only to our God. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is what? He's what? He is what? Able. He is able. It's a great word. This is what we know about the God we serve. He is able. He is able. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the resources. He is able to deliver us from it. The question that they did not have to wrestle with in the presence of the king when it mattered the most is this question. Can God take care of it? Can he do it? Can God save your marriage, what feels like to be a dead relationship? Can he breathe new life into it? Is he able? Is he able? Yes. Can he heal you from what you're dealing with, your affliction, your pain, your depression, your struggle, your cancer? Can he heal you? Is he able? Yes, he is able. 
can he take a fractured country and pull together people who love God with all their hearts and mend relationships? Is he able? Yes, he is able. Is he able to build his kingdom regardless who is in charge? Is he able to bring about his purposes and fulfill his will even if we don't go along for the ride? Is he able? Yes. And the question that they have wrestled with long before they ended up in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar is that God is able. This is the conviction that allowed them to stand before a king who had the authority to destroy them and stand with their back straight and their head up and answer thoughtfully and carefully and pointedly. Yes, he is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. That's what they believe. But then they say to him this. Say it with me. But even if he does not, this is the moment when King Nebuchadnezzar knows, whether he wants to admit it or not, that he is lost. That he's lost this little battle with three little Jewish boys who have zero position, zero authority, and zero credibility. They don't care what happens next because they believe that there is more to this life than you can touch or see or feel. That there are things that are temporary and they vanish like that, but there are things that are eternal and they last forever. And the only thing worth building the foundation of your life on are things that are eternal things that survive the refiner's fire, things that will last even when things that temporary burn up and disappear. But even if he does not. I don't know what you're going to go through, what fiery trial you will experience, but making this decision before it matters is what will see you through all manner of difficulty. It will allow you to worship the only one that is worthy of your worship. Otherwise, you'll be tempted to worship security and ego and future and possibility and peace when there is no peace. Your worship will be drawn to all kinds of 90-foot gold objects that are not worthy and not eternal. But even if he does not, and then they say this, and I don't know, I've read this story I don't know how many times, knew it growing up, but this hadn't occurred to me until recently. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So don't miss this. What did King Nebuchadnezzar do? He brought these boys in. He said, look, here's the deal. You know the deal. I'm going to play the music, and then you're going to go away. When you hear the music, you're going to bow down. You're going to worship. That's what's going to happen. And they say, no, not going to happen that way. And he says in front of them, these three boys, they say in front of the king, we don't have to go through all that if you don't want to. We can tell you now what's going to happen next. In other words, we don't need to have a committee meeting. We don't need to go to vote. We don't need to decide two to one. We're not going to bow down. None of that needs to happen. We're telling you now, skip the circus. You don't have authority over us. And we're not going to bow. In other words, Whatever you say is going to happen next, let's just hurry on to that. Can you imagine? 
I mean, wouldn't you like a, I don't know, a half hour reprieve before the music plays? Wouldn't you like a moment to just gather your thoughts? Not Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They say, let's get on with it. We believe that God is sovereign, that he is able, and that he will deliver us from your majesty's hands, but even if he does not. And so then, as the story unfolds, Nebuchadnezzar was, he was what? Yeah, he was. You think how furious you think he was? What, scale of 1 to 10? 11, right? Furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He already said he was enraged, the scripture says. Now he's beyond enraged. He ordered the furnace heated, how much hotter? Seven times hotter than the usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they bound him up, all the clothes they had on, tunic and robe and coat and whatever, put them in ropes, tied them together, and here's what happens as the story unfolds. They throw them into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell in to the blazing furnace. As they fall, King Nebuchadnezzar watches, and everyone watches. When you go through your fiery trial, people watch, don't they? What do they learn about what you believe, about what you know to be true? What do they learn about God and who he is? while they watch. Come on, nothing's funner than to watch that, right? You do it. That's why you rubberneck at a car accident, right? We all want to watch. What happens? Here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we threw in to the fire? It's a great question. Why is King Nebuchadnezzar asking, weren't there three men? Why is he even wondering? Why is he posing this question? It's because he can count. That's why. It's because he can count. And then he says this. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like what? Ah, we know who that was. We know that God's presence was with them in the fire. That God's presence was in the burning bush. That God's presence was in the pillar. And that God's presence was with these three young Jewish men in the middle of the hottest fire that you or I have ever known or heard of. And he sees them writhing in pain, right? No, what are they doing? What? They're walking around in the fire, walking around. They pull them out of the fire. They had not been singed. Their hair had not even been burned. Their clothes, the scriptures say, did not even smell of fire. Even King Nebuchadnezzar smells of fire. And King King Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the God who saved them 
He sent his angel and rescued, rescued these boys. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have experienced, but I know this. What God doesn't teach us through one experience, he'll teach us through another, and he will be with us in the fire. 